If you would, turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Matthew 28. Matthew's Gospel, final chapter. Before we get into this text, I want to remind you again and again and again of the absolute importance and necessity of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We need to hear this over and over again because it is a truth that we forget and that we wander from and that we grow cold and indifferent to. There's a lady I I know and I didn't get permission to use them as an illustration, so I'm not uh, saying any names, and I don't. I actually don't know if anyone in this room would know this lady, but she has she has a son. We'll call him Jack. And Jack is a first grader who is obsessed with all things World War II, mainly the European theater. This first grader has toy soldiers as well as planes and tanks and other machines. He loves watching documentaries that are appropriate for his age. He loves asking his dad questions and having his dad tell him stories about World War II. He'll randomly walk into the kitchen and ask his mom if she knew about certain airstrips that were built in Ireland. He even tries to organize his friends on the playground so that they can reenact the Battle of the Bulge or the Normandy invasion. His teacher, one time at a, I think it was an open house, his teacher walked up to his mom and said, Jack really likes World War II. I bring him up because that little boy has not forgotten an incredibly important victory that was won in history. Even though he was born some 70 years after the fact. And as he speaks of this war, of course we know that this little boy does not understand the weight of war. He does not understand the hellishness of war. He has no idea of the extent of suffering and pain and loss that those soldiers endured to secure freedom. He doesn't understand the severity of the history that he acts out in his backyard. But he remembers, and he is not indifferent to those sacrifices. I can't imagine any veteran being bothered or annoyed by this little first grader's imagination and his appreciation I, of course, am not a veteran, but I would assume that most all veterans would be honored that here is a young boy who has not forgotten that great fight, and he's not taking freedom for granted. He loves it and wants to learn more. This morning, we remember that there was a victory won many years ago, early one morning on the first day of the week. A victory that is recounted in all four Gospels. A victory that is at the very heart of Christianity. Christ Jesus, his conquering of death. 
And just like that little boy, you and I have no idea of the full weight of suffering and pain that Christ experienced in that fight. We cannot fully comprehend the magnitude of that event. But regardless, we need to remember and we need to be obsessed with it. It should bring us great joy that Jesus has triumphed over the grave. The resurrection is Christ's magnum opus. When we think about his work of redemption and what he came to do, the resurrection is the climax. And it provides many proofs for us as Christians. It provides proof that we have been delivered from hell. Proof that the debt our sin earned has been paid and accepted. Proof that we no longer need fear the grave and we no longer fear wrath and condemnation. If Jesus Christ had never gotten up and walked out of the tomb, there would be zero certainty for us that our sins are covered and forgiven. We would still be in them, as Paul says. And as we think back through our own history, and we think about our failures and our faults, when we think about our, our vices, our impulsive decisions, our moments of anger, times when we hurt others to get what we wanted. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, then the weight of all those is still on our heads. If Jesus did not rise, then one day God is going to come and he's going to call in that debt. Additionally, if Christ Jesus did not rise from the grave, it would appear that death and the one who has the power of death came out on top. If he did not rise, we should be terrified of death. We should fear the grave and we should fear our enemy. But thanks be to God, we have not been left wondering. Christ Jesus did rise from the grave. And the evidence, when you consider it, is overwhelming. For any skeptics out there, I would simply say that there is no event in human history that is so robustly defended and witnessed to as the resurrection of Christ. If you are not satisfied with the historical evidence and testimony that Christ rose from the grave, then I would submit that there is no event you can be certain of. If there's not enough evidence for you to be certain about Christ's resurrection, then there's not enough evidence for you to be certain George Washington was president of the United States. If we can't know this central truth, then there's nothing we can know and be certain of. When it comes to the resurrection, our God knew of the latent unbelief that resides within all of our hearts. He knew that we were slow to believe. And so in his providence, he provided for us a great cloud of witnesses. 
Let's pray and then read this morning's text. Father God, we ask in this moment for your spirit to come and to bring light and illumination and understanding as your word is opened and preached. This is something we are absolutely dependent on you for. So would you come? Would you help us? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Start reading in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Grass withers. And the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. There are four different things I want us to see this morning in this passage. And the first are the signs and wonders that accompanied the resurrection. We see in verse 1, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. So this is just before dawn on Sunday morning. We're told that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. We know from accounts in both Luke and Mark's gospel that Mary Magdalene is a Galilean woman, most likely from the town of Magdala, and uh, Jesus previously delivered her from seven demons. Now, the other Mary is likely the other Mary who is mentioned in the previous chapter, Matthew 27, but as for her identity, there are about Five different options, and we aren't certain of her exact identity. But Mary Magdalene and the other Mary wake up early in the morning, and they come. They have come to tend the body of Christ and to add spices and perfumes to mask the smell of the dead body. But that is not what they find. We read in verse 2, Behold, there was a great earthquake, For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So we've got some signs and wonders here. We have a great earthquake. We also see an angel of the Lord descend from heaven. The stone is rolled back and the angel sits upon it. We can ask the question, why was there an angel here? Was it because Christ needed his help? Was the door stuck and he just needed 
an extra hand to get it open. No. Our Lord didn't need any help. He didn't need the help of this angel. Jesus came back to life by the power of God and he came forth from the tomb by the power of God. This angel would bring a message to these two women, but the most basic answer of why was this angel there was because it pleased God. It pleased God that following the resurrection of Christ, there would be signs and wonders, that the earth would shake, and that an angel would descend from heaven to herald the news. There's something else here, and this might be something that will surprise you to hear about on resurrection morning. But what we have here is a, a preview, a small dramatization of what will happen at the end of the age. We've talked about this before, I think back when we were in Exodus. We talked about Christ being the first fruits. The first fruits are the first bit of harvest that come in and they give you a preview and a taste of what's coming. We see the first fruits of the resurrection here. The earth shaking, the coming of the angel, the resurrection of the dead. We need to remember that the Bible teaches a literal resurrection of the body. My body will be raised. Your body will be raised. Everyone's body will be raised. Some to eternal life and some to everlasting condemnation. I heard a pastor say recently, and now this reference is a little dated, um, but I heard a pastor say that too many people get their view of heaven and hell from comics like The Far Side. Um, Again, some of you might know the far side. Some of you younger individuals might not. But this view of the afterlife that, you know, it's very ethereal and spiritual and just kind of a world of clouds where we have wings and sit sit up in the sky and play harps. We're being informed by cartoons. But Scripture tells us that our eternal future is very concrete. It is very real. It is physical more than we can imagine. In it, we will enjoy fellowship with God in a resurrected, glorified body that is completely freed from all the effects of sin and the fall. Just as Jesus rose, so will we. We're given a pledge of that here in Matthew 28. Just as the tomb could not hold Christ any longer than the appointed time, we know that our future grave, our future coffin, our future vault will not be able to hold us any longer than the exact time appointed by God. And just as a glorious angel was sent to be present at the resurrection of Christ, Scripture tells us that angels will be sent out to gather believers at our resurrection. He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. It's a wonderful comfort for us to remember that for the Christian, the best is yet to come. 
The promise of the gospel is not that right now you will enjoy a life that is free of trial and sorrow and sickness and weariness and pain. Our comfort is that the best is yet to come. In his commentary, J.C. Ryle makes, uh, makes this very important statement. He says, quote, When we die and we are buried, what kind of funeral we have matters little. The great question to be asked is this, how shall we rise again? End quote. It's not your funeral that matters, but how shall you rise again? Will we be those who rise clinging to the righteousness and merit of Christ? Will we be those who rise hopeful that because Christ lives, the best is yet to come? Will we be those who will rise joyous to see and be gathered by the servants of the Lord? Or will seeing those angels strike fear into our hearts? The funeral is not the end of all things for you, and it's not the end of all things for me. How will you rise? Second thing for us to see, something I just alluded to. It's the absolute terror that falls on the enemies of God. Starting in verse 3. His appearance, the angel, was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Now who were these guards? They were Roman soldiers. Not men known for being weak or fearful. Roman soldiers not only fought to expand and defend the empire, they also policed the empire, and they also served as construction workers who would build walls and bridges and roads. These were some tough guys. We can ask the question of why were they even there? Was it customary to place Roman guards outside the tomb after someone died? No, they were there because the chief priests in Jerusalem had a vested interest in making sure that Jesus' body stayed in the tomb. We're told down in verse 11 that after these events, the soldiers go and see the chief priest. And the priest pay off these soldiers and tell them to lie. They give them money and say, go tell everyone that his disciples came by night and stole his body, stole his corpse while we were asleep. These soldiers were there because Jesus had enemies that did not want to see him rise. They wanted his body under guard so that it would stay put and decompose in the tomb. But when the angel came, fear fell upon these hardened soldiers. And they shook. And they became like dead men. And here again, we're given a picture of the first fruits of what is coming. This was a real event that happened in history, but it points us ahead because the reaction of these soldiers gives us a preview of the reaction of the ungodly and the wicked on the last day when the Lord returns. How will the dead who died in their sins, how will they who despise the cleansing blood of Christ react on the last day at the final resurrection? 
in the presence of the angels. Fear and terror. Revelation 6, 12 and following, we read this. When he opened the sixth scroll, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Again, you read a passage like that and you have to ask how will you rise what kind of funeral you have matters very little third thing for us to see is the words of comfort that the angel gives to these women in verses 5 through 7 we read but the angel said to the women do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. There's a stark difference between the guards and these women and their reaction to seeing this angel. The guards convulse and they fall down in fear, but the angel tells these two faithful sisters, do not be afraid. Those are four words that are universal to all believers in Christ. Do not be afraid. You know, you read a passage like the one we just read from Revelation 6, the earth shaking and the sun becoming black and stars falling in the sky being rolled up. And we read a passage like that and it sounds very frightful. We hear people crying out for mountains to fall on them and hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. That is a scary text. But as those who have trusted in Christ, we have these four words. Do not be afraid. Once we have come to Christ, there is nothing in all creation that should make us afraid. On that last day, whatever happens, we will not be afraid. Because as believers, we will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we will be found blameless. The church will be preserved and kept safely inside the one true ark. You remember the story of Noah's ark? God shuts Noah and his family and the animals within the ark. And they're preserved. They survive the judgment of God unscathed. Clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We will not be hurt when this flood is loosed on the earth. 
we will be kept. And on that day, we will more vividly understand those words from Psalm 33. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Do not be afraid. Fourth and final thing for us to see is Jesus' gracious words about his disciples. The angel speaks to the two women, tells them that Christ has risen, that he is going before them to Galilee, and they will see him there. And then the two women depart quickly with fear and joy on their way, running to go tell the disciples, and they run into Jesus. He, He tells them greetings and They took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. What an honor these women had of being the first to see the risen Christ. They had gotten up really early in the morning to go and tend his body. They experienced this incredible shock and now they're running back and They bump into Jesus. I'm certain that if we had been there to witness this reunion, I don't think there would be a dry eye in the house. All of our faces would be sore and hurting from smiling. You think of a soldier returning home after a long deployment and surprising his wife and kids, the joy and the tears that are there. After a moment, they catch their breath, and Jesus gives them this message. He gives those same words, do not be afraid. Again, words that we need to hear over and over again. And then he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is, this is astonishing if you stop and think about this. What does Jesus call his disciples? My brothers. He doesn't come back and say, go tell those disciples who fled and left me all alone that I'm going to meet them in Galilee. He doesn't say, go tell those disciples who have weak faith, go tell them I told you so. He doesn't come back and say, go tell them that I'm disappointed in their doubt, that they were not here after I told them I would rise on the third day. No, Jesus says, go tell my brothers. These words are incredibly comforting. Yes, the disciples were scattered. Yes, they were afraid. Yes, they were full of doubt. They were imperfect and broken and forgetful. But Jesus calls them My brothers. Think of Joseph's story in Genesis. Joseph in the coat of many colors. His brothers sell him into slavery and then they lie to their father and say that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. Joseph experiences some very hard providences, but in God's timing, He rises to second in command in Egypt and saves Egypt and his family from a seven-year famine. And there's this moment in Genesis 45 where Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and he's weeping loudly and he says, Come near to me, please. I am your brother. 
He doesn't get mad and point his finger. He doesn't take vengeance. He doesn't shame them for what they did. He says, come near. I am your brother. Our Lord used that same language. There are so many things that he could have justly called them. But in these words, he reveals something of his own heart. He calls them my brothers. The same one who bore the wrath of God on the cross. The same one who went down to Hades and conquered death and bound the strong man and plundered his house. The same one who in short order would ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. He calls them my brothers. The victorious conqueror is still gentle and lowly of heart. Dear Christian, please leave here today. This is my hope, that you would leave here today knowing that Christ rose from the grave and also that Christ, your elder brother, deeply cares for you. I want to end with a closing exhortation from J.C. Ryle. Ryle says, Let us turn from this passage with comfortable thoughts if we know anything of true religion. Let us see in these words of Christ an encouragement to trust and not be afraid. Our Savior is one who never forgets his people. He pities their infirmities. He does not despise them. He knows their weakness and yet does not cast them away. Our great high priest is also our elder brother. Let's pray. Father God, would we remember that ourselves? Would we remember Christ, our elder brother? And though there is no one like him, and he is the name above all names, and he is seated in glory at your right hand, yet he knows our name and loves us and died for us and bids us to come to him in faith. Father, grant us the grace to do just that and to stay close to him all of our days until we too see you face to face and we become like our Lord that we see. We ask this in his most holy and precious name. Amen.